we can't tell the future. So all we really can do is think about some of the probabilities uh, of what can happen, learning from others' experience, and in a case where we don't have access to those resources right away, right, of, you know, someone else and asking them a thing and we've, you know, Googled as much as we can or whatever it is, we have to make a decision and a decision is to move. Welcome to the Path to Passive podcast, where we talk about building wealth and empowering lifestyle through commercial real estate investing for tech professionals. I always wish that other tech professionals reaching financial freedom had documented their journey along the way, so I'm doing it for the rest of us. Join us as we explore stories, many failures, and lessons learned along the way. I hope you enjoy and subscribe. Hey, if you've been listening in so far to these different episodes, or maybe you've just been tuning in, you might be someone thinking, what skills do I possibly have that can help me with real estate investing? Chances are you're probably, if you're listening to this, you're probably not someone who has gone right into real estate investing in full time. So, you know, if you're thinking you haven't done any investing yet and it's still pretty new, what makes me qualified? What makes you qualified to even consider real estate investing, right? Maybe I don't belong here. Maybe you have that imposter syndrome or that feeling again, like you just started maybe one of those really big tech jobs for the first time. I know that was a similar feeling that I had when I had first started. So bringing us for today, in this episode, I'm going to be talking about seven different reasons why I think tech professionals, us here, actually make really great investors or can make really good investors. Provide you with some examples I thought of, make it tangible, of course, want those stories to go along with each of the different points that I brought up. We are, in fact, data-driven. Also address the elephant in the room, which may be a mindset component, breaking some of the limiting beliefs, if you will, right? Because ultimately, that's what a lot of this is, the you know, that's that's what something like imposter syndrome is to be, uh, to be quite frank, right? Whether you or not you subscribe to that label, it's not really a label I like, but it's commonly known. So that's why I use it. But anyway, I'll share some of the stories I've had along the way and maybe even get some, some of the strategies too. In fact, I will because uh, there's a couple now I think of which I'm really excited to share because They've come a bit recent. So anyway, welcome to this episode, Path to Passive, real estate investing for tech professionals, guide for tech professionals that want to invest in real estate, get maximum leverage of their capital to earn more income, save on taxes, and build generational wealth. Each Friday, I bring myself, some of my experience that I have so far, and I'm super excited to be bringing on real estate leaders, entrepreneurs, etc. in the coming episodes as well. We haven't had on any yet, but you better bet I'm queuing them up and I've got a couple of them uh, in progress of getting scheduled right now. So <coughs> really excited for them. So let's get into the show today. Today, we're going to be talking about reasons why tech professionals can make really great real estate investors. Okay, so as we start the soft story time, right, and a little bit of background. Now, the reason why I want to do this topic and talk about it is that, as we know, right, it's not always strategy that gets in the way for us, right? I know it wasn't for me too. I think it was Tony Robbins. Uh, that is, uh, it's eighty percent psychology, twenty percent strategy, or the mechanics, right? Uh, And so fortunately, unfortunately, many tech professionals are really great at what we do because we're solving problems all day long. And the way we do that is we think, well, if I do this action, then this next thing is going to happen and the next thing is going to happen, et cetera, right? But 
on the other side of that, you know, that means we're thinking about all the things that can go wrong. <laughs> and unfortunately, the problem is that sometimes that is the focus, right? And so we're used to looking at large data, looking at the risks, looking at the upside, looking at, you know, whatever we're doing and how it integrates with systems or projects, whatever. And we're really good at over-preparing to get the job done right. Our success depends on it. Like I said, the emphasis here is what could go wrong. And again, this, my friends, is what gets us into trouble. And it starts to manifest that analysis paralysis. Maybe not so much sometimes in the professional environment, but certainly, you know, maybe you can relate to that happens when we have so much information in our personal lives. And I would argue that, you know, investing life is our sort of sort of that middle ground, the personal professional, if you will. Right. But I want to offer a frame here that has taken me a while to get to while to get to, but has been one of the biggest mindset shifts and has made a lot of the difference for me. So I'm going to go through these points first, circle back the punchline. Uh, and the reason is, is I think that's one of the best ways to emphasize the point that I'm going to be making, because we got to get, we got to, we got to talk about why that punchline is so important. If I were to just say, you know, boom, here it is. It'd be like, yeah, that's interesting, but you didn't show me why. So that's what I want to talk about here. The first thing that, you know, it was for me is I didn't know what I didn't know, meaning, you know, we don't really know how our talents transfer over to investing. Like I said, if you're here listening to this and most of the episodes so far, then you're probably have done some investing or you're pretty new so far. And so again, I'm just sharing my experience in this. And when you're new on anything, you know, the new white belt, so to speak, throwing some, some martial arts thing there, but being brand new, then you don't know what you don't know. And so, you know, all these questions like, uh, you know, who I am, who am I to do this or to do that and usually stem from not knowing how to measure the value that you have, right? Because if you are measuring areas that you do have competency, such as what you do in your professional life or your job, you would say something like, well, I'm really good at X. I know this because my job is Y. I've been doing this for X, you know, for that amount of years. I've got promoted. I've did a thing. The point is, is that you have a bunch of evidence for it. So, you have gone through that the area that you know you do for your job. You know what you know. You know what you don't know for the most part, right? Etc. And so, second thing is, you know, if you if you don't know that, right, uh, how our talents transfer transfer over, then you don't, then you, you simply <clears throat> you don't really know where to start, right? And if you don't know where to start, then we hit this next most obvious problem, which is not knowing how you contribute. Right. And so another story here is that I was just at a retreat for a mastermind that I was in or I'm still in, excuse me. Um, and I was in uh, New Orleans in September and part of that mastermind, um, with a bunch of capital raisers, heavy hitters of people in the room that have raised, you know, there's like hundreds of millions of dollars that have been raised in there. Uh, there, everyone in there is pretty much exclusively focused on real estate. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, so I've been investing, I've been building my skills, uh, et cetera, but what exactly do I have to contribute that someone there doesn't have already? Right. If they've been in the industry, they've been in business, they've worn lots of different hats, et cetera. I'm like, okay, great. Um, you know, I'm investing too, but what what thing can I do to contribute? That's how I always like to think. What value can I provide? And so what I'm saying is if you don't know what you can contribute, then 
I, I highly suggest that you just get out there and and talk to others. You know, I I was preparing for the mastermind, and it was actually getting into into you know the groups um, and just starting to talk to people. I started to understand what challenges they were facing, and all of a sudden, it was no longer about me. I got I just went in and I started asking questions, and I heard them talk about the challenges they had here or the challenges they had there. And you have you have to know what some of those questions are. Like, hey, what you know, what are, just simply like, what are you working on today? What's going on? What what kinds of things? Sounds very interviewee-ish, but you know, just take a step back and just be curious. I promise you, people will love to talk about their business. They'll love to talk about what they're doing. Obviously, be prepared to talk a little bit about what you're doing too. But just be honest and upfront. But again, when you do that and you have that in, that interaction, you'll start to see how you plug in, and you will find out what you have to offer when you hear about the problems others are facing and what you know you know how to do. So that's 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 the second thing here. The third thing that you know it's easy to happen. It's it's easy to get in your own head and making it all about you because when you think well, I don't know what I can contribute. Then you start to, you start to go into your head of like, oh, well, that means this and this and this and, you know, of uh, um, why you should be there or not be there, all that kind of stuff. And my my point is is the when the problems we'll face is making it all about you. Um, and uh, I want to walk you through an exercise where you know if you're driving or anything like that, obviously don't do it then. Well, right now, <laughs> but think at least at least you can you can hear this and think about this and, and take the lesson. So I heard this exercise uh, and questions, and I, I thought it was really interesting. All right, so here's the question. Right, there was this whole exercise that was done. It was like you know, close your eyes and start thinking about this. But here's the question. The question is, how much money would you need for yourself? Would you need where it shifts? From, from everything that you need to when you start feeling like that you can give to others, right? Like you can give to your family, like you can give to your communities that you're part of, the charities that you like, starting your own mastermind, groups of people, whatever, right? And that question is, is it like, you know, will you need $100,000? 150? Is it 200,000? You know, when it's still like, I need to earn this thing for my lifestyle, like, and so the question is, how much money do you need where it starts, where it stops being about you, but it starts being about when you can contribute, right? So do you see where I'm going here as well, right? That, you know, do you need where it stops being just, just about you and starts being about everyone else? So if your number, as an example, is for you to feel, you know, super secure, right? Is it a million dollars a year? What does that break down to per month? What does that break down to whatever? And that may be, when, when you start to get a number in front of you, you can see how it may or not be, I don't want to say realistic, but you have something that you can consider. You have something to work with uh, so that you have a line in the sand, et cetera. And that the, 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 real, the real point is thinking about when do you start? What do you have to do? to start focusing on others as well. Is that something you could do right now as well the, with, you know, your time, your money, your skills, uh, et cetera. And that directly translates just knowing what you can contribute, you know, being curious about others and just not making it 
uh, just about yourself and knowing when it isn't. Okay. Anyway, let's get into it for today. Today, we're talking about the reasons why you as a tech professional can make an absolute great investor. And let's get to some of these skills. So this section, I want to cover these seven. Um, the goal here is to let you know that your skills are valuable and directly translatable to real estate investing. These are skills and things that I have gotten, you know, in, in, in my experiences have come up in one way or another. And um, I've seen them become valuable. And many of you listening, I'm sure are probably better than me in one of these areas or others. Uh, we all do have our strengths is how I mean that. So, um, you know, example, you know, what, whether or not you're, you know, uh, an architect, developer, DevOps engineer, SDM, whatever, you know, going from a high tech world and finding yourself in a room where, you know, talking about analyzing, you know, millions of dollars worth of properties with an Excel sheet, you know, for, and to this plug-in variables and things like that, you know, I, I became, I became very, very surprised from working with, you know, coming from that high tech world and finding myself in a room like this and seeing how there's a giant disconnect in skill. And I thought, surely I must be missing something. You know, there's got to be something that they're not telling me. There's got to be another something I'm missing that we we can't just be doing all these property analysis with Excel, right? Because there's this huge contrast for what I'm used to and what we're doing, working on a much, you know, seemingly larger scale with these, these properties. But anyway, here are some of the skills. First one should be no surprise. We're talking data analysis skills, right? The analytical skills. Ability to look at different sets of data, not be intimidated, is a superpower of yours. Uh, you realize that many people don't like numbers and they believe that they're not great at math. And in tech, we don't really have that luxury to hold the belief that we're not good at numbers or math, right? Well, maybe we didn't go to the multiple calculus, stats, or other maths-related classes, and maybe listening, maybe some of you have, uh, we usually know that we're looking for data with, you know, and with enough Google foo, right? Enough Googling and searching, that kind of stuff. We have the ability to go and search and find what we're looking for or be resourceful to find someone else to help solve that problem because it's our job to get it done. So where does this show up realistically? Market research. Think about it. While we haven't touched a lot on... Um, what exactly market research is, just know for right now, all it means is that you're doing your job uh, to research and determine if a market is a good fit for your criteria for investing, right? So just looking criteria for a geographic area, right? Since we're talking about real estate, if it might be a good fit for you to invest in. So, you know, there are sets of metrics to look for. Uh, and your ability to research that data across those metrics and make a decision based on that data is where your analytic skills really come into play. Another place that comes in is risk assessment. So not only in the market, but the overall business plan. Through looking at data, you can start to see where there might be anomalies, things that stand out, right? Where the numbers don't quite fit right. These are places you might want to dig in deeper, right? It's like, oh, that doesn't look very right. Let me dive more into that. Uh, see if the data is accurate, why it stands out, kind of get to the source of it, so to speak. I mean, these could be risks that will need to be mitigated, right, in a business plan. And so spotting things like this are actually so critical that you can become a very important 
uh, member and have a make a very big contribution to a general partnership team, GP team. We're analyzing deals, being a second pair of eyes, or simply reviewing deals for your own passive investments as well. Moving on to the second point is focusing on the user and customer experience. Now, this might sound obvious to you, but it's not. <laughs> All right, it, it's it's not. So. You know, oftentimes in tech, it's like, okay, how many users are there? What are they using? How do we make sure the experience is better for them? You know, should we tweak this button? Should we do this thing? You know, should we add this service? Whatever your space is as a tech role, you can think of a question about how do we make this better for uh, the person using the service. And so the second point here is focusing on user and customer experience. And so, like I said, when you're a tech professional, you're working directly with customers or likely working on a tech-based product, right? That service, programming, whatever, on the, on the product. You're thinking about those customer use cases. So the messaging is always, how does this serve the customer? Why should we work on building this feature for the, for the customer versus something else? What is the use case and how the customer uses this and how does it impact their experience, their life, the overall business, whatever? So... You know, where the, where does this show up in the investment world? Uh, well, I'll say this. While some may argue about this, it's usually because of perspective and who you're talking to. I would say that your number one customer is the tenant. No tenants, no business, right? Tenants here, you know, are at least with apartments and multifamily as the example, is that um, they're the ones that are using the, the product, right? They're, since your tenants are your business, we should always be trying to understand what your tenants' needs are, who's going to be staying at those properties, right? Focusing on uh, the customer that way, being customer-centric that way. And so how do we serve them at the highest level? Who is part of the apartment communities? What type of people want to be there? How can we make it safer for them, more enjoyable, more comfortable? How can we add more services, whether that, you know, services like, you know, uh, you know, Wi-Fi around the complex, right? As an example, um, higher, higher quality of living, if, you know, should that be, uh, having more playground stuff for if there's families that live at where you're at, right? Does it make sense to have a pool there depending on where you are in the country, right? And so these are just some of the metrics to consider as we look at taking care of other human beings, right? These are people that are choose to be at these apartment communities. So like I said, just uh, these things are just, you know, the right thing to do, but also, um, some of the ways that you can have, uh, you can make implementations to stand out for the property as well. Second, just to call out is the investors. We do have investors. We want to consider how we can be uh, customer centric, right, as well for the investors. Again, it depends who you're talking to, but, you know, investors, we need to make sure that we're communicating them as well. And that even though you didn't promise a return, there is a return shown when you were offering a deal to an investor. So, Consider things like how can you make it a better investing experience? Metrics to consider here are like how you can have more timely communication, better reporting, more visibility on reporting, etc. All right, <laughs> moving into the third point, it's navigating online platforms for gathering data specifically, right? So remember, as a tech professional, your daily routine and how you navigate it might be a really big challenge for someone else. Right. You know, those two to three screens you have, the multiple windows, multiple tabs, you know, the things that you do on your screen while something else loads and you respond to your phone. 
look, I, this might be a little bit exaggerated, I realize, but the point is, um, is that you're used to using technology and to navigating it with minimal thought, right? Navigating tech platforms to view data, get you know, conditions of something uh, and thinking about, all right, if this is the day I'm getting, then how useful is it and what can I do with it? And so the real life example here is an important one, which is due diligence. And by due diligence, this is the analysis of a property, right? We're going to do due diligence on a property to, is it, is the deal being presented to us the way and if we plug in data or get the data, does it actually show, still shape up to something that we want to invest in, right? So due diligence, building a hypothesis and getting uh, data for making the great business plan. Remember, business plan is what are we going to do to increase income? What are we going to do to decrease expenses? And that's the point. We're going to add more, you know, raise the rents. How are we going to do that? How are we going to decrease the, how are we going to bring down the expenses. And so a big part of investing is due diligence on the entire deal. And that means, you know, making sure the market looks good if you don't know it already, or, you know, if there's a sub market there and the deal structure itself and the ability to get the data and plug it into a model is where the real magic is, right? Getting, getting access to that data or just getting it quickly and plugging in. And so the speed that you can do that helps to increase the ability to win a deal. It also means that you can submit to deals faster likely meaning more deals as well. Second area here on this same point is staying ahead of the curve because you see more options. You don't have to think very far to know that because you get more data and you can access platforms quicker, then you can probably get a better idea about what's going on, right? You're synthesizing data in a market or about a particular topic. And because of that, you're thinking, okay, well, I'm used to getting a bunch of data about this topic. That probably means all these other trends, you know, are happening. And that gives you breadcrumbs to think about what is going to happen next, right? And so, like I said, identifying trends, insights, signals as well for that market or the asset class. If you want to do something other than uh, apartments, it doesn't matter. But again, that is the idea is that knowing how to work with technology, Seems obvious, but again, like I said, pointing out the obvious is part of the point of this episode so that you know that it is something that you can contribute, all right? Just being super blunt about that. The fourth point here is automation and systems integration, all right? So building on the last topic from a technical perspective, this is about automation and systems integration, right? I'm thinking about tech stacks here to be clear. And while I'm not exactly talking about LAMP stacks, Linux, Apache, MySQL, you know, PHP, I'm talking about business applications and using things like marketing tools, customer relationship managers, right? Zapier tool, other property technology tools that you can integrate with your workflow to be more productive, Right. As you, you know, there's one thing to learn about, you know, analysis, learning about how to plug things in, et cetera, but getting clear about as, you know, as an investor, your criteria to invest in, as I continue to talk about, you realize more and more that even getting deal flow, right. Flow from, from, for deals on whatever you want to invest in is marketing and converting an opportunity is sales. So Anyway, you're going to get used to using those tooling as well on the business application side. And obviously, there's ways to do it. I'm not saying that you need to do it in step one, but just knowing that 
these business application tools will be useful in the future and being able to use your brain for how these tools work together will be very helpful because it's sort of second nature for you. So by the way, just on that note, more and more AI tools coming out that you'll be able to grasp and apply to, right? So the bar has been lowered, as we know, for access to the AI tools, but you still have a higher competency in working with tech. So ideally you should be able to see integrations more easily, right? Because we understand the models. Fifth point here is around problem solving and project management. Uh, I did note here OKRs, outcomes and key results for anyone that knows that as well. Again, it should be pretty self-explanatory, but we want to keep taking that professional brain and bringing it over to our investing world. And so, you know, these skills that you've learned in working in tech to apply program or project management uh, is going to be incredibly helpful. It might be more rigor than you're used to on taking those same things on the personal side, but I highly recommend it because more organization means that you're able to move faster. So it's very relatable to problem solving. Here where you're looking at is what is the main outcome of what I'm trying to achieve, right? What is the biggest thing and what are the, the things below, right? The key results, so to speak, that, you know, that help to move the needle on those particular metrics of what are you working on? So on top of this, you know, just keeping organized, moving those, those tasks, uh, you know, if whether that's research or, you know, just, okay, what is this going to take? Or maybe even getting help from someone else, maybe like a virtual assistant or something else will be really important. I'll talk about some of those in a future episode, but just know that is organization, that level of organization is really going to help. So should come no surprise to you that skill of putting together a project, tracking deliverables, you know, having a set cadence of how you you know, move those things along and having your own sort of workflow control is going to be a very translatable skill. And here's the thing, you know, once again, this is sort of second nature to us as tech professionals, but I've worked with a lot of people in the, in the real estate industry so far who just look at this kind of stuff as busy work, right? It's, a new program on top of project management and top of things like this. So, you know, these skill stacking becomes a lot for someone that's not used to it. And so, you know, like I said, people, a lot of people look at this as, uh, as busy work and just think, Hey, let's stop talking about this and let's just get it done. And while I agree with having a bias for action, oftentimes either the same folks that say these things will get overloaded and take on way too much you know, in a period all at once and start to get lost in the details. So once again, consistency and staying in the game is what's going to help you to win. Uh, an example of this is, you know, when analyzing deals, you know, what's the, you know, you always want to um, just be consistent with uh, more and more deals coming your way. And so thinking about what the outcome of, of the deal is and the analysis, determining if it's something you want to invest in, um, what are the things that you need to do to determine that analysis, you know, are sort of the subtask of the project as well. And so that's why this skill is so important. Now, moving on to the sixth of seven things so far is working across multiple teams and stakeholders. And look, it's likely that you work across multiple different roles as a tech professional so far. If you're a customer facing, there are definitely a bunch of different teams in the customer that you'd probably work with. I mean, your main point of contact, line managers, developers, internally, likely, uh, you know, 
um, very similar product managers, service owners, devs, et cetera, you know, skip levels, getting, you know, support um, as well. And so the point is, is that you must understand the roles. You must understand what those roles want, what their drivers are, what they care about, how you deliver for them and communicate to them based on their specific needs. And this is the whole cross-functional team thing, right? Once again, no surprise, there are many roles in real estate too. Real estate is complex, and so there are you know, lots of responsibilities and roles. And so I'll give a quick example here. Um, and I'll certainly be talking about this in a future episode, but think about it from your past investor side here. You know, you need a lawyer, an accountant, a CPA. You'll have to get connected with those operators, the deal sponsors, like we talked about in previous episodes. Of course, mentors and coaches are always great as well because you want that second pair of eyes and could be fellow investors, whatever, but you should have them on your board of directors, so to speak, right? This is your team. And also there's going to be vendors that you're likely working for as well working with. Uh, also, if you're planning to go the route of wanting to learn everything so that you can become a, on that GP team, the general partnership team, then you're definitely going to have to work with a number of different types and roles and people, not to mention understanding your tenant base at that property and certainly those investors like we talked about as well. Finally, seventh, this is the last thing that I wanted to call out is understanding constraints, right? And improvement methodology and operational excellence. So what I'm talking about here specifically is reducing the amount of errors that occur and the culture of continuous improvement. So my bet is that many of you, you know, work have processes that are documented and have some degree of standard operating procedure, SOPs. Uh, if you don't, maybe that's something you can make sure to integrate. Um, but in fact, if you're running a business, you need repeatable processes that continuously get a repeatable and similar result, right? The more standardized the steps you have, the more likely that you have less variance. And that means you get more of that expected result. And like I said, you have a working model, but when errors or things come up when you're like, oh, I've never had that before, you're likely to think about, okay, well, what can I do? Why did this happen? What can I do so that this doesn't happen again? Or I know the next thing to do right? Uh, know the next thing to do for next time. And so you should treat your investing business and your processes just like you learned in your professional experience. You know, whether that's in enterprise environment, you know, your SMB, your startup, whatever, it doesn't matter. There has to be iteration. So it doesn't matter if you're moving fast and breaking things in that culture. You will always need to be looking, you know, at your own metrics of business, right? So that you can uh, get information faster, you can analyze deals quicker, etc. And all with less errors, right? Anything along the spectrum of, you know, people involved, the process that you have, the technology involved, see what I'm doing here, people process technology, having this degree of attention to detail and process is actually a fantastic form of leverage. I've talked about leverage a bunch. But what I mean here in particular, is that you're going to be learning a lot. And so when you document your own processes or even journal about them, if you want something a little more lightweight, your learnings at minimum have something that you have to refer back to, which means in theory, you're writing down your own books and reference, right? Or you're creating your own books for reference, right? Your own journals you can, you can go back to. You've captured your learnings that you can go back to so you don't have to keep learning the same lessons, right? Uh, from challenges that you've faced in the past that we can look back. What did I do there? I remember something about that. I wrote about that. Of course, that helps you remember too. 
So the leverage is having learned it, documented, and that lesson. So advanced tip here, inevitably when you do have something done so many times, you wanted to give it to someone else so that you can focus on newer, higher cognitive load things. You know, I'll be creating a course in the future of how I find talent like virtual assistants, et cetera, to help me do some things that are repeatable tasks for me that I no longer want to do because maybe I want to do something else that is new for me, but I can pay someone to do some of those, you know, administrative tasks or help set things up or things like that. So if you're interested on being on a list for one of those courses in the future, please reach out to me an email. You can reach out to me at steven at aritacapital.com. Or if you just have questions about that, be happy to chat with you about it. So those were the main points. I know that was a lot and it's probably pretty obvious. Um, some of those of at least from that tech point of view, but what I really want to do is map that to how it helps you be a really great investor from day one. Okay. So here are some frames and some things that I want to offer of how I've gotten through some of these, you know, how I can become, well, the next section is actually <laughs> what I was thinking here, uh, which is how I can become a scientist. Now, this is the circle back from what I was talking about, those three points way earlier, right? Not knowing what I didn't know or what we don't know and not knowing what I had to contribute and making it all about me as I thought all of those questions of what if this and what if that. And so, you know, the net disempowering belief that came from not knowing really, you know, what what I was doing there, what I could contribute, uh, and what others really needed can manifest as that imposter syndrome. Like, what am I doing here? Right. And so, like I said, maybe you've experienced before, if not, and you're one of the ones that you're just charging through it all. And, you know, you never felt that then congratulations, that is outstanding. And I hope you go and get it for sure. But the lesson here, just getting back on track is that I've learned that I have to make sure that I'm willing to be a beginner again, right? This, and that is the frame to this. Have to be willing to suck, at least for a little while. If you get good at something, you have competency, especially in you know your daily life uh, as a professional, then you probably don't suck that much in what you're doing, right? But it can be tough. It can be tough to start over again and knowing that, of course, I'm going to suck is it reasonable to suck? <laughs> and and also, at what point should, uh, how long should I be doing this thing for it to be no longer reasonable for me to suck, right? And so what, what amount of work do I have to put in? How long do I have to do it for until I'm good enough? And so that's the point. And the way I do that is by having this frame of being a scientist. The big tip about this is exactly that, and that's what I wanted to share. So I know the times where I start to feel concerned about something, I'm focusing on potential outcomes versus the inputs of it, right? And so, you know, I, the, the outcomes of like, well, well, I don't wanna do that because what if this happens or what if that happens or other thing, right? And so, you know, all those questions of did I check the variables? Do I know the steps in the process? Do I know every little thing along the way? are all outcomes based because I'm worried about what will happen. And that is analysis paralysis for sure. There's no way that we can tell the future. I'm pretty confident. If, if someone's listening and can tell the future, let me know. Obviously, I'm being a little cheeky there. But the point is, is that we can't tell the future. So all we really can do is think about some of the probabilities 
uh, of what can happen, learning from others' experience, and in a case where we don't have access to those resources right away, right, of, you know, someone else and asking them a thing and we've, you know, Googled as much as we can or whatever it is, we have to make a decision and the decision is to move, right? Whether that's making your first investment, the steps the same. So the point is, is be scientists, just think about it, test, experiment, have fun, enjoy the process. All right. So just a quick recap on today. We covered seven different reasons why tech professionals can make really good real estate investors. Talked about data analysis. We talked about doing market you know, research, navigating online platforms and able to get a bunch of different data uh, for reasons of getting, you know, making a hypothesis, business plan, looking at like, you know, forecasting future things as well. We've also talked about risk assessment. It's going to be huge because it's all about how can we mitigate risks? Nothing, no, no investment, nothing in life is going to be risk-free. It's all about trade-offs. Technology automation, you know, and systems integration, project planning as well. Um, having a great cadence there too. And problem solving from a perspective of operational excellence and, and culture of culture of excellence as well. So making sure that you take all of those skills you've learned and ask yourself really great questions about, well, how do I apply this in this other area too, right? So anyway, the action for today is make a note of yourself right now or as soon as you can, it makes sense. Which of the skills that we covered today are the best for you that you have, or that you have the highest competency in, right? The, the highest skill level and that you enjoy the most. So those two together, right? Uh, it should be, which ones do you have the highest? Just so you can remember this. I like to think about this as passion and then proficiency. So between those two, so highest passion for and the highest proficiency. And this is the skill that you're most likely gonna be able to bring to a partnership where you're strong, right? Where, where you're strong because you like it, you're good at it. It's something you can contribute. So you can see how we're solving for some of the things that we started with, right? Um, so what this means is that the other skills, other other areas that you didn't like as much and maybe weren't good at, as example, those categories, well, these are the places that you know that you can find partners for that have common goals, common values. It might be things that you can hire others for, right, et cetera. And so that the next time you're, you know, talking to someone and says maybe they're not really great at working, you know, with tech and systems, but they're really good at analysis, you might have a perfect place for you to join and plug in. So that in mind, quote for the day before we wrap up, is this one. And I love this one. It is by Mr. Thomas Watson Jr., who's the second president of IBM. If you want to increase your success rate, then double your failure rate. So good. If you want to increase your success rate, then double your failure rate. Quick note about, about this guy, Thomas Watson Jr., is that in the 60s, his first attempt at creating a supercomputer, supercomputer failed. He had millions in losses. But he did go on to make IBM a household name. So on an upcoming episode, I'll be sharing the experience that I got going to some other events as well. There's a ton of lessons. I've been doing a lot of events this entire year and last year, 2023 and 2022. I've got some more going on next year as well, 24. 
crazy to say 2024, but nonetheless. And I've got some great guest speakers finally coming on. I know this is episode nine of me doing solo. I've got some great speakers coming on, like I said. Um, And so super stoked for them. I just want to get this podcast launched and get some episodes direct to you, but I've made some great friends and contacts so far, and I really want to get them on here to share them. So, you know, if you want to miss how others that have been in business for 20 plus years share about their real estate portfolio, the experience they have with businesses and franchises, that's okay. You don't need to show up. But if you do, that's what we'll be covering. So anyway, please reach out to me. You can reach out to me at the Real Arita on Instagram on IG. That's the period, uh, real period. I'll be working on a different handle, but for now, that's what it is. So the period, real period, Arita, the real Arita on Instagram. Let me know one takeaway of yours from this episode. All right. My profile on Instagram is also going to be in the show notes. So if you want to go make this easier and just click on that, I'll take you direct to me on Instagram. You can also reach out to me if at steven at aritacapital.com if you prefer that way. Uh, also, if you have topics that you would like to hear about, please let me know. I will have a look at whatever your questions are, what you want to talk about, and do an episode directly for you. So thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Path to Passive, and I will see you next time. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Path to Passive. We love connecting with our listeners and those on the path to architecting their wealth and improving their lives. Feel free to let us know what topics you'd like to see in future episodes. Get in touch with us through email or Instagram. See you next week for a new episode.